Hey, do you like weird movies? You do? Have you heard of Vinegar Syndrome? Find them online at www.vinegarsyndrome.com. Vinegar Syndrome is one of the leading exploitation and grindhouse preservation and distribution companies in the world. They've got a simple three-step process that I call the three R's. Recover, restore, and release. Vinegar Syndrome has an amazingly large film archive consisting of thousands of 35 and 16 millimeter negatives and prints and are actively finding films that are underappreciated, undervalued, and underseen. So many of their releases have never seen the light of day since VHS, and they're restoring them to all their glory. Some of these films do not have the right to look as good as they do, but they do. I'm looking at you, corpse grinders. Vinegar Syndrome has their own method of restoration where their goal is to recreate the theatrical experience as best as they can. With their own in-house lab, they scan, color grade, and restore each title personally. You'll never see any grain reduction and digital trickery on their discs. Vinegar Syndrome is a very exciting label, and we're proud to have them as a sponsor. They've been with us since the beginning, and we love them for it. Check out their website today and grab yourself a copy of Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song, Body Melt, Wonder Woman, Ice Cream Man, Christmas Evil, Dolomite, or my favorite, the Wisconsin Blood Trilogy of Bloodbeat, Bloodhook, and the upcoming Blood Harvest. Once again, be sure to visit them at www.vinegarsyndrome.com and grab yourself something cool. Let them know your good friend Michael sent you. Warning! This movie podcast actually discusses movies. Be aware that it may discuss any of the following elements. Endings, surprise twists, unexpected cameos, and all manner of spoilers. If this doesn't appeal to you, why listen to a movie podcast? Without further ado, please enjoy our feature presentation, The Shameless Picture Show. How's your day been with me? Fine. <laughs> I don't know, we usually have some sort of preamble. It doesn't really work when we've spent like spent the, the entire, entire day, day together. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we got up and then spent the rest of the day together, so... Yeah, it gives me a second to make this larger, so my my old man eyes can read it. Yes, I even wrote a joke you for you. You have old man eyes, and I have an old woman back. Yeah, but that's why we work together. Yeah. All right, so we're falling apart. Great. <laughs> Take a sip of coffee. Do you intentionally do it that loud? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Ever since I started doing that in the show, I've been like, how can I make this coffee drink more and more audible? And I think I have succeeded at that. <clears throat> so. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Shameless Picture Show. I am your host, Michael Byers, and with me is the woman I instantly fell in love with the moment I heard her utter the words, I carried a watermelon. Amanda? <laughs> I never said those words, ever. No, but they're in the movie. You, I know. Don't you listen to the product? <laughs> I do. <laughs> I do listen to the product. Then you should get by now <laughs> how this works. Uh, but yes, my, my wife Amanda is going to be joining us on the episode today. Um, and we'll be, uh, we're talking about a movie that I've never seen, but she's a big fan of. Uh, we'll get to that in a second. I wanted to first talk about, uh, 
I don't want to say news because it's not really a news section, but we are a film podcast, so I'd be remiss to mention uh, if I didn't mention the fact that Burt Reynolds recently passed away a couple days ago yeah. from the point that we're recording this. Yeah. Um, I was at work when I found... Actually, funny enough, you, um, Amanda texted me about it, and as soon as she did, I had actually just been checking Facebook for whatever reason, and I saw it right when she texted me, so it kind of morosely worked out well it, it is it is nothing i mean you you are uh, all of you if you were on the big screen and your face was the size of a building you know people sort of have a tendency to react differently to you but i'm not any different than any of you people i mean that's crazy i mean i, I i'm an actor and i i play these parts and uh the, the greatest disappointment in life sometimes is when you meet an actor and he doesn't measure up to all these things that you want him to be because it's almost impossible to be all those things. It, it's, uh, that's probably why most actors never come on shows like this. <laughs> because it's almost, it's impossible to it please. It breaks the illusion. Well, it's impossible yeah. to please everybody. And, and there is this mystery about you when you see somebody on the big screen and, and you kind of want that mystery to stay on. You, you don't want them to ever uh, be mortal. You don't want them to be sick. You don't want them to uh, have any problems. They're just, uh, they're somebody that you go and see and you pay money to see them, which is different than watching mm -hmm. them on television. And there's a different reaction to them. But, uh, yeah, it, certainly it, is. It, it is, uh, it is a little strange to, I mean, if you took a microscope out and put it on your pores of your nose, you'd find that you are terribly human. And, and, uh, <laughs> it's just, uh, it's just impossible sometimes <laughs> to, deal with that but to, to say that there's some secret to why this person makes it or that person makes it I think the the bottom line is is that it's probably courage and luck and talent in that order yeah is that why you think you've made it courage and luck and talent yeah in that order yeah one of my team members told me about it and I had to tell them the story about the uh, Burt Reynolds picture in the living room Nah, I feel like I should tell the story to the audience just so they get some context. But real quick, someone on your team knew who Burt Reynolds was? Yeah. It's impressive that someone on your team knew who Burt Reynolds is, because I feel like most young people were like, who? Yeah, I don't know. And then I was trying to describe the picture, and she was like, yeah, I know that picture. It's very iconic. Everyone knows that picture. Well, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> I feel like everyone should know that picture, but not a lot of people know that picture. I didn't know that picture beforehand. Uh, we're talking about uh, Bert's very famous, I think it's Cosmo. I Cosmo? said it was Playboy. Uh, Playgirl, actually. Playgirl, yeah. yeah Couldn't boy. remember if it was Cosmo or if it was Playgirl, but I imagine it was right. It was Playgirl. It was very famous Playgirl centerfold where, you know, he's sprawled out and just, just got his junk perfectly covered of his hand. Uh, and it's pretty much mustache to toes hair. <laughs> um, and uh, when me and Amanda were f first gotten together... Um, my mom had a picture frame that she got for Christmas that was just, you know, it's kind of a chip, dinky picture frame that's red and it says love on it. And she's had the default picture in there forever. And I was like, you know what? I want to fuck with her. And I, uh, and I, she told me that, well, that Burt Rose picture is one of her earliest memories of seeing a naked man. I thought you were just going to leave it at earliest memories and like, damn, that's a hell of an early memory. <laughs> but so I, um, I, I went online, I found that picture um, just, I just Googled Burt Reynolds naked, as weird as that is. <laughs> so, but that, you know, I got like 13 of that picture that came up, um, and I printed it off, I put it in the frame, and I put it right back in its place, wondering if she'd notice. Um, and I was texting Amanda, I was like, oh, this is gonna be funny. 
she gets home, she, you know, when she has to, when she lights her candles, they're right next to the picture, or at least where it was at the time. She with the candles and everything, she opened, you know, she opened the windows to let the air, and you know, did her a whole spiel, never noticed the picture, and eventually said, hey mom, did you realize what I've changed? And she goes, I did, you changed the background on the computer, <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> and I was like, no, the, the. That picture? What picture? And I said, the picture frame. What picture? That went on for a little bit. Wasn't this a while after it had been sitting out, though? Like, I really thought it had been, like, a month, and you're like, I'm just going to tell her. Because I kept asking Uh, you, like, did she notice it yet? You're right. Some (laughs) time did go by. Um, And then uh, she found she noticed it. And she has never taken that picture out of the frame. And don't think she will. She said she's not going to. This is a morbid thought, but bear with me. One day when her time comes, that's going in her casket with her. <laughs> I feel like she'd appreciate that. Though. I think she would, too. I think she. everyone wants a naked Bert with them in the afterlife. <laughs> so that's the, 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 I guess, infamous Burt Reynolds story in our household. But uh, the man will be missed. Um, he's an actor I grew up knowing. He's probably the first movie star I, I knew the name of. Because my dad, Smoking the Bandit was a movie both my parents were really into. And then I, you know, I knew of Deliverance. And he was also in a couple movies as I started getting older. So he was like, you know, Without a Paddle he was in. And that was a comedy that I remember seeing when I was in middle school. I never actually saw that movie. Well, he's in it. And okay. he's got a great part. And then he was also in the remake to The Longest Yard. Because he was in the original. I and, don't think I saw that either. Well, <laughs> we'll have to watch them. They're fun. And then, you know, he, you know he's been in a lot of stuff. Uh, I think his best performance is Boogie Nights, even though he famously hates the movie. But it's <laughs> the, the, he hates the movie because he plays a pornographer in it. Okay. Uh, and I don't know why that's an issue because he knew about that when he signed on, but I guess he just didn't dig the way that they presented it in the final cut. Speaking of, can we just take a second and talk about how you were talking about porn stores with the chiropractor who was in his 60s? I thought it'd be a funny joke. I thought it would be a funny joke. <laughs> like, I just, as soon as you mentioned the porn store down the street, I just was like, oh God, this is going to be a really well, weird conversation. Well, but all... he like carried the conversation. I know. And that's all I could think about when he's like, oh, it's a really nice area. It's like, there's a porn store down the block. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, this is all inside baseball conversations between our day. But uh... I, I feel like I explained it. Yeah. You brought up a porn store with the 60-year-old <laughs> chiropractor. <laughs> And he continued the conversation. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I'm, he's like, I'm really impressed that they're all still around with the advent of the internet. My first thought was like, you know about internet porn? <laughs> <laughs> oh. Um, surprising, this is not the first episode where I've had to talk at length about porn. What is the other one? See, the Her Name is Lisa episode. Oh, that's fair, yeah. Okay. <laughs> that was okay. an awkward episode. Anyways, um, get, we should get to the topic at hand. Okay. On today's episode of The Shameless Picture Show, we're discussing one of the two classic 80s dance movies that have been on my shame list forever. First is Dirty Dancing. We'll be discussing Footloose on probably another episode. Directed by Emil... Oh, I'm going to mispronounce his name. Emil Ordolino in 1987 from a script by Linda Gottlieb, Dirty Dancing tells the story of 17-year-old baby houseman who is vacationing with her family at Kellerman's Resorts in the Catskill Mountains. Baby is young, idealistic, and has humanitarian dreams to help her common man. While at the resort, Baby meets Johnny, a young dancer that all the women on the resort are obsessed with. While loved, Johnny is often the butt of everyone's insults, and despite being the most popular act on the resort, 
is put down for his poor life outside of the resort. After Twist of Fate, Johnny's normal dance partner, Penny, can't join him for a very important dance, so Johnny attempts to teach Baby how to fill in for her. Because of this change, both Johnny and Baby begin to fall in love with each other. The film became a phenomenon and started dance fever in the 80s, much like Saturday Night Fever did in the 70s. And while some critics hated the film for its simplistic plot, I'm looking at you, Roger Ebert, places like the New York Times gave it a very favorable review for its amazing use of choreography, choreography, and the film still holds a 72% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, which is impressive for a film from, what did I say, 87? Yeah. The film stars Patrick Swayze, Jennifer Grey, Cynthia Rhodes, Jane Brucker, Kelly Bishop, and Jerry Orbach as Baby's Father. in the music. The music sets you dancing. The dancing sets her free. Best Wrong Pictures presents Dirty Dancing. She thought it would be just another summer vacation. Who's that? Oh, them. They're the dance people. But it turns out to be the time of her life. Watch me now! I can't even do the merengue. Teaches her what she can do. I'm not sure who you are, but I don't want you to have anything to do with those people again. Baby, I don't see you running up to daddy telling him I'm your guy. Well, with my father, it's complicated. I will tell him. I, I don't believe you, baby. She shows him all he can be. You gotta stop it now. I know what I'm doing, Penny. I'm scared of everything. Most of all, I'm scared of walking out of this room and never feeling the rest of my whole life the way I feel when I'm with you. What they learn from each other feels too good to be wrong. Dirty Dancing, starring Patrick Swayze, Jennifer Grey, and Cynthia Rhodes. Get ready for the time of your life. So, this movie was on my shame list. And, um, so normally we talk about what we, we, what, what I think about the movie, but I'm, I'm curious. I want to ask you something first. And what was, when was the first time you saw this movie? I don't know. Like, I mean, the first time I really remember hearing about it was when I was going upstairs by my mom to her bedroom and she was like, or I asked what she was watching and she said she was watching Dirty Dancing and I immediately thought it was not an appropriate film. <laughs> I think we all had that thought process, yeah. See. So I was like, oh shit, I need to, I need to leave. Um, I don't know, I guess, when I actually watched it for the first time. I don't know. Okay. Um, one thing I will say about the movie, I, I did enjoy it. I don't think I loved the movie. I might have if I saw it when I was younger. Yeah. Um, uh, but the film was, a, it was way better than I was expecting it to be because my original, I told Amanda this off camera or off air, but my original thought process of it was I thought it was just going to be like a steamy romance movie the entire fucking time and that it was just going to kind of grate on my nerves. 
I mean, it had parts, but it... It had parts, and I don't mind parts of yeah. it, but, like, I just thought this entire movie was going to be like that, and I was happy to find that there's a decent amount of humor. Um, some social commentary, which I'll discuss on later on, but I feel like some of it was kind of washed out. Yeah. Because um, uh, one thing I forgot to mention in my intro, the movie takes place in 63, uh, so there's some social commentary at work. It was also fascinating me find I did a little research, found out the movie was a, for all intents and purposes, an independent film. Had no major studio really? backing. Yeah, had no major studio backing. And Linda Gopley. And they got, got Patrick Swayze? He wasn't a, he wasn't as big of a star at this time. Oh, okay. uh, I'll check to see what he's done before that. But Linda Gottlieb wrote it kind of off of her own experiences, going to the Catskill Mountains and huh. there was dirty dancing competitions and everything. Um, Interesting. And it was just it was fascinating too when I watched the movie. And it's almost primarily a Jewish cast, except for the help. Yeah. Because the Jew the Catskills were a very Jewish vacation spot um so let's see what had he done so before dirty dancing um he had done a couple um he being patrick swayze and done a couple films most popular the outsider so that was his second movie he did he did uh red dawn so yeah i guess he was kind of a name at this point he was also he was in ghost yeah i've never seen ghost he was also in point break which i'm i'm comfortable enough to say it's the sexiest he's ever looked that surfer hair worked for him oh yeah God, he was in Point Break, wasn't he? Yes, he was. Uh, he was 34. Oh, his mom is Patsy Swayze, and his name is Pat Swayze. That's... His mom is actually a famous dancer. Oh. Yeah, she's a choreographer, so... And her name isn't even actually Patsy, it's Yvonne. Yeah, but, you know, Patsy... Patsy! Just kind of... I don't know what works. He was <laughs> 34 when he shot this movie, by the way. Really? Yeah. He did not look 34. No! That's... Wow. That's impressive. Um, but anyways, I like the film, and, uh, and a big part of that, I think, was because there was humor in it. Uh, nothing is as funny as as Johnny's uh, cousin trying to open up a door with those two watermelons. <laughs> and <laughs> That was the moment for you that that, that was like, oh, that's, this is great. <laughs> and then, you know, there was all the sexy dancing and whatnot, but like... But those watermelons. Those watermelons worked for me, man. Um, there was a lot of, uh, and it wasn't just that too. Like I feel like the film was not afraid to poke fun at itself. So like the Catskill, like uh, the Catskills were also no, was also a breeding place for a lot of famous comedians, is where they'd go and because you know they do a show every night, so yeah, to give them a chance to do comedy. Um, they kind they kind of made fun of themselves a little bit, like because they had Wayne Knight. Who, the guy from Jurassic Park and yeah. Seinfeld, doing those really bad jokes because that's very much in the style of the Catskills comedians and some, and they just were not really... He was laughing at them. You so, know, I finally met a girl exactly like my mother. Dresses like her, acts like her. So I brought her home. My father doesn't like her. <laughs> Go figure. So right. I, I, I love that the film was not afraid to make fun of itself. Okay. I don't know. And then I guess the most importantly, I liked the characters. Like, I, I liked Baby. I liked her family. I even liked her dopey sister. Yeah, it's just her sister's... Her sister's weird. Her sister's dopey. <laughs> let's put it that way. Like, her mom didn't, doesn't really play much of a part in it, mm -hmm. I don't think. No, she's just kind of there. Yeah, I like... Unfortunately. She kind of just feels like she's there to keep up the whole family image. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like her dad a lot, and I like her... 
And I like Johnny. Yeah. Well, what's not to like about Johnny? Everyone likes Johnny. It's fair. I have to say one thing too that's that surprised me. What when uh, I saw this film was so when I one thing I didn't realize I didn't realize this movie took place in the sixties and a big part of that was because of the songs that I knew of because of this movie. Yeah. And I'll touch on that in a minute, but there was some very questionable content in this film that seemed very risque for a movie that was as popular as it was. Um, and then when I found out it was an independent film, that made sense. Yeah. Um, because, like, say something like Heather's. Heather's was an independent film. That's how they can get away with treating the sub- subject of teen suicide the way they did. And right. just some of those just darker jokes. Not only did this film had, you know, had an abortion, which... So it takes place in 63. Abortions are illegal at the time. And I think abortions are still kind of taboo in the 80s as well. Well, I mean, they're... In some circles, still taboo now, so I'm sure they were in the 80s. That's fair. We have not progressed much from Dirty Dancing, people. What that? We'll just let that sink in. Dirty Dancing took place in 63, and we have not progressed very far. Well, okay, people aren't going to underground doctors where more than likely they're using coat hangers, so I feel like... We progressed a little bit. Yeah. Um. So there was that, and then there was, like, the general, like, undercurrent of prostitution... At the, at yeah. The, at Kellerman's? No, yeah, like, that's was, true. Granted, you know, the, the, the so all the young, attractive men who were working there, they all were given the clear directive, you know, to keep their hands to themselves, but they had to make the girls feel pretty, even the ugly ones. Yeah. Um, and then, like, Johnny was straight up sleeping with the older women. Oh, yeah, and being paid to do it because he was being paid for teaching them how to dance. Yeah, two different tango lessons in one day. I'd be impressed if anyone other than Baby at this place knew how to dance by the end of it. <laughs> I think she, it was probably confusing for him. He was the first person he legitimately had to teach to dance. <laughs> well, he, I feel like he did a good job. I feel I mean, like there's probably a deleted scene where he comes in and starts taking off his shirt. And like, wait, wait, wrong thing, wrong thing. Later. <laughs> <laughs> um, this, um, I'm try, I'm, well, we, let me pull up my notes real quick. Is that a $6 million budget? Yes, $6 million budget, but look how much it made. $214 million at the box office. It was in... Yeah? Cannes? Mm-hmm. Like the film festival? Yeah. Huh. One thing I have to say about the film that I, I thought really interesting, so I, I did a little research and was reading up about Jennifer Grey. Yeah. Uh, who plays Baby. And... Um, at this time, when she did this film, you know, she had done Red Dawn with Swayze, so they knew each other. She mm-hmm. auditioned for Flashdance and didn't get that. I've never seen that one. That's another one I haven't seen. A lot of dancing films I haven't seen. Yeah. So let's see what else Jennifer Grey did before that. So she had a She also was Ferris Bueller's Day Off. She hadn't done a whole lot, but she is trained in dance. She did about the same amount of stuff that he did. Yeah. I know both of them. Like, yeah. But uh, her part in, say, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, she played the sister, so it was a smaller part. Oh, her okay. part in Red Dawn was barely there. Um, okay. Okay. She was a trained dancer, and so she auditioned for this role, got it, and she just tells a story about showing the movie for the first time to her agent. And her agent said, you're never going to work again. And you better hope no one sees this film because it's trash. What? Why? And it's filthy. Because the dancing and everything. Aww. And they're like, you Look better. Look at how much she did after that, though. She did a lot. She had, yeah, you know, she, she did had, more than he did. She had a nose job, everything. <laughs> um, uh, and they said, you better hope no one sees this film. 
and she started feeling really down about herself and her acting and everything else. Um, but then she said some, it hadn't been released yet. Yeah. Uh, and there was some early screenings that started getting really positive buzz and it made her feel good about herself. And then the film came out and people resonated with it. And like, yeah. you know, I wa- when we watched this film, I was like, yeah, the dancing is risque, but like, I don't know. I didn't think it was as bad as everyone making it out to be. No, I mean, well, like I said, like as a kid and hearing the title Dirty Dancing, it's like definitely took it way farther than the film even went. Yeah. And, and they don't like, you know, there's a lot of implied of what's, what everyone's doing behind closed doors, but mm-hmm. you don't really see anything. That is actually one aspect I really liked about the movie, I have to say. Is, yeah. um, so when we first meet Johnny and we first meet Penny, who are arguably the two best dancers in the in in the joint. Yeah. Um, you know, they're doing very safe, formal dancing and everything because, you know, it's for the crusty old people. Yeah. What do they want to see? They want to see all oh, ballroom dancing and all this other right. stuff. But then it was kind of like... You know, when when uh, Johnny's cousin couldn't hold those watermelons and he kicked open the door, um, <laughs> a whole new world opened up because it's dancing that Baby had never been exposed to. She's from a proper, uptight Jewish home. I was trying to think of a way not to say it that way. Um, she had never spent a whole lot of time with these people. Right. And it was a dance style that she'd never seen. I mentioned earlier where it was um, kind of glossed over. I, one thing I was telling Amanda about when we watched the film is so Johnny's uh, cousin. Which, does he have a name? I he does, but I don't remember it. I don't see anyone else with the name Castle in the script. Anyways, I don't think he had the last name Castle. Um, Johnny's cousin said, "Well, this is what all the kids are doing in the basements back home." I don't know for sure if this was the way that it was written, but it, to me, that's implied that. Like, cause it's very, it's very Cuban. It's very, it's very Cuban based. It's very Spanish based. And then some of the style is very urban based that it's, it's the way that a lot of minority groups danced, especially with them saying it's in the basement. Cause that's where a lot of black and Hispanic and Cuban clubs were because, you know, that's just how it was, especially cause this is being 63. And since Johnny grew up around these people, that's the style of dance he's doing. And he's teaching all these people. Right. And so there was never, cause the film kind of becomes like a rich versus poor thing. Yeah. Um, but, uh, it's it it just an interesting factoid that I just know, um, based on my, my knowledge of history of music. Right. That I thought also made this interesting too. Cause that's, that was, I think that's the real reason, like, near the end, uh, when Johnny wanted to do, you know, spice things up a bit and change the final number that they were so against it. It was like, whoa, that's not the type of dancing we do here. Right. It's kind of like... Um, Let's do, re- do the pachanga. Yeah, the pachanga. <laughs> <laughs> or, like, you remember when we went to go see Crybaby at the, at the drive-in? Yeah. Johnny Depp movie? Yeah. And, like, they had that talent show and they're all doing, like, 50s boy band stuff. Yeah. And then here comes Crybaby doing, like, rock music. That's yeah. this equivalent where, like, this would be Johnny being like, oh, let's go do it. Let's go do this this cool Elvis tune or something. And they're like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> we are not going to do that. <laughs> so I thought I thought the way they um, they did that was really cool because soon, the moment Johnny was not around, like, prying eyes is when his style really came out. Yeah. And, um... Yeah, actually, one thing I wanted to talk about a little bit that I thought was interesting, that, you know, we've talked about before, 
that uh, deleted scenes, there sometimes you watch them and you're like, okay, I can see why that scene was deleted. Yeah. There's two scenes in this movie that I thought were fantastic that I wish they would have kept. Okay, I've never seen the deleted scenes. So. Well, I'm going to walk you through them. Okay. Well, not all of them, but I'm going to walk you through two. This one, I can see why they cut it, because it doesn't work in the full of the film. Because I really like the beginning with the car driving down the road and Baby is narrating, um, you know, kind of like Dear Diary type shit. Yeah. Um, there's a scene at the very, that's supposed to be at the very beginning of the film when Dr. Houseman is like, well, we're going to take a family vote to see if we're going to go on vacation. And you see hands. And you can tell by the way they're writing yes or no which character it is. Because, like, her sister comes up and she writes yes in a heart and shit. And they're all right, yes. And you see Baby aggressively writing no so much so that she breaks <laughs> her pencil. Wow. And, like, that was an aspect I never got from this film that she just did not want to go. No, I did not get that at all. And the what I assume is that she didn't want to go because she still views this as, like, a classism thing. Like... You know, we we the rich can go on this vacation and the less rich have to wait on us. And with her being kind yeah. of humanity, that's just what I put together. But, like, I just love that this baby is very obviously a no that she didn't want to go. Because, like, when you watch this movie, you, just, you feel like she's going along with her family, but it's not necessarily that she doesn't want to go. Right. Like, if anything, it's kind of implied in the beginning when the mother makes a comment about how it's been however many years since... He's taken a vacation. Like, I got the impression that he, they never went because he didn't want to go or couldn't go because of his job or whatever. And they, actually, like, they actually say in that scene, too, that the reason they haven't, like, they, the reason he can go on a vacation this time is because the woman, like, there was a, a pregnant woman that he was taking care of and she had her baby early. So it was like, hey, I've got the summer free. Yeah. <laughs> because if he's her on call doctor, no, no, he I needs know. to stay nearby. I know, but, like, the, he only had one. Right. I don't know. I just, that, was, that, was, that was the dialogue. One patient? Yeah. <laughs> So well, this one patient doesn't need me. I'm out. So I thought that really added to her character. Yeah, that's, Be, that's definitely an interesting element that you don't get otherwise. Yeah, because all the characters, you, you kind of get a good... This movie does a good job of defining the characters. You get the idea that Dr. Houseman is, you know, good guy dad. Yeah. Stern but fair. Yeah. The mom is a typical 60s mom. Right. <laughs> And the sister is kind of a flighty floozy. And actually, that's not even kind of mean. She's not really a floozy. She's just kind of dumb. And she... <laughs> she's not a floozy. She's just dumb. She's... Well, because <laughs> she, she convinced herself that she's in love with that asshole. And that's the reason. Because she doesn't, yeah, she doesn't she make it seem like she's skipping or going with every guy around. That's no, the only guy she's sleeping with. But to, in her defense for that, though, like, she didn't know he was an asshole. That's true. It's just, well, she's just dumb. <laughs> but that's not just being dumb, though. That's like... Well, I guess that, that that does not necessarily makes her dumb. It's just like some of her conversations. No, I mean I'm not saying funny. she's not dumb. <laughs> I'm just saying like that's not like what made her dumb. I guess like it's it's not fair because I'm sure I'm sure Robbie. Well, actually, no, they did have that argument in the woods mm-hmm. that one night. I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, all things considered, I like her sister. Her some of her, her her singing scenes are hysterical to me. Yeah, because they're so bad. They're so bad. Fun fact: she wrote that song. Sting a bird that swims, a fish that sings, I wanna, 
She wrote that song? That hula, that cool Is she song? actually that bad at singing? I'd hope not. Because like, it sounds like she's got some singing ability. She's yeah. just singing poorly intentionally. That's definitely what it sounds like, yeah. Um, And then like with Baby, she's the only one I just like... We figured out through dialogue that she's a humanitarian and, you know, she worked for the Peace Corps. Yeah. She's the only character like, okay, we're watching this character and I don't know what the hell she's about. So I feel like that scene could have yeah. really helped with that. And then a scene that I think should have stayed, 100%, is, so it was after the abortion. Okay. When things got kind of rough between baby and her father. Okay. Um, and she, he gives her the, the stern warnings, like, I don't want you ever seeing these people again. Like when he's walking out of the mm-hmm. cabin? Okay. And then they never really talk about it again. Until no. later on. There's a scene that's, I don't know, like, it obviously happens after that. I don't know the exact timeline of what was going to be in there. When Baby comes up to her dad, he's reading the newspaper, and she says this. Daddy, thing. I'm sorry about what happened. I never wanted to. It's just those guys, Baby. Daddy, you don't know them. You don't know them. I grew up in a neighborhood filled with people like them. Not people like them. Your Uncle Dave and I had to pass a line of guys like that every day to get to school. Some days they beat us up, and some days we just ran like hell. Well, now they come to see me in my office, and they call me Doc. Please, Doc, can you help me, Doc? That's all I can do not to throw them out in the street. I understand, but... These guys are just the same, baby. They're bad, and they're mean. And you're not to see any of them ever again. So it kind of added some depth to why. So it's not just like, oh, they are poor. Stay away from them, baby. Like, it adds some depth to why he's against this. Was that scene, like, when he was outside by the lake? Mm -mm. Oh, okay. It happened later on. Like, she approached him about it, you know, assumingly after he's calmed down a little bit. And, like, let's let's hash this out, pops. Huh. I wonder why they get rid of that. I don't know. Because, like, I I was watching the deleted scenes. Like, oh, this is just an extended dance sequence. This is... You know, or, like, they have, like, one scene where, like, her sister Lisa was like, oh, I used to look up to you, and then just walked away. I'm like, oh, that was, like, five seconds. Like, what? <laughs> um, uh, but, like, this scene is like, oh, this was actually really good, and I wish they would have kept it. Before I go into some more things that I liked about the film, I feel like I've been bogarting this conversation. Let me ask you, what, so, you like this movie a lot. Yeah. What, what about it resonates with you? Um... I don't know. I mean, I just always thought it was a fun movie, I guess. Like, it's... I like the music. I know you're slightly annoyed by the fact that it doesn't always fit the time period. It's very anachronistic. Which is true. I guess I never really thought about it, though, when watching it before. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. Like, I always liked romantic comedies. Mm-hmm. Especially more ones from, like, this time period than some of the current ones aren't as... No, they, That's great. They, there's some quality that they're missing. Yeah. But yeah, the anachronistic quality of the music did kind of bug me because it takes place in 63. And if you look at the soundtrack, which by the way, the soundtrack for this is a lot better than its sequel, Havana Nights, let me tell you. <laughs> um, you know, it does have music from the time. It's got the Ronettes, Frankie Valley in the Four Seasons, Otis Renning, uh... Uh, and other ones. But like, when I was a kid, I always assumed this movie took place... In the 80s when it was, like, shot because of, like, you know, I've had the time of my life just feels like an 80s song or 
Patrick Swayze, she's like the wind, which plays, you know, when he's very aggressively weaving and, you know, yeah. see you later, and then just bolts down the road. Right. Um, because the songs like, because those are the big songs in this movie, I always assumed this took place in the 80s. I mean, I'm not going to lie, I didn't really know when it took place, up until, like, when you asked me in the beginning of the film yesterday when it took place, and I said the 60s, that was just like a completely pulled it out of my ass impulse answer. And it was, you were right. And I, and I was right, but... As I was watching it, I agree that I feel like if I had just watched it, I would have said probably the 80s. Mm-hmm. Because, um, like, I really didn't know what this movie was about before. Like, I knew it was about dancing. And yeah. And I knew it was kind of a love story. Yeah. Uh, I just assumed it took place at a summer camp. I actually, I don't know if you remember, but I said that too. I was like, I don't know, a summer camp in the 60s? Yeah, and like, it's... <laughs> I mean, it's kind of a summer camp. It's a rich person summer camp. Yeah, though. it's like summer camp for the people that work there too, because they're yeah. staying in like huts and cabins and They look shit. more like they're at summer camp than the yeah. people that are actually staying there. Um, But no, the music did definitely bug me. However, it, I, I have a little... I want, There's a couple cool things I found out through doing research. Like I said, I didn't know that the song She's Like the Wind... If you, I played it for you earlier, yeah. if you remember that song. That Swayze wrote and performed it. Right. And they gave him that opportunity to do that, because he said music was always a passion of his, too. Because he, he grew up wanting to dance, he grew up wanting to sing, and he grew up wanting to act. I've been writing music for a lot of years. As you as you will see, I'm a sucker for, for romance. Dirty Dancing allowed me to really flush out and develop the musician in me. But when I wrote... She's Like the Wind, when I started writing it and then I started continued writing it with Stacey Weidlitz, I knew it was the right kind of song for the movie and I just want to see if they liked it. Yes, we surprised everybody. <laughs> <laughs> when I wrote She's Like the Wind Through My Tree, she rides the night next to me. The more I played it, it just kept coming and then Stacy and I got together and continued fleshing it out and, uh, and so I played it for them while, you know, while we were shooting and, and they loved it and wanted it in the movie. She's like the wind Through my tree She rides at night Next to me Every time I sing it now, anywhere, uh, and, and perform it, I have to dedicate it to Lisa. You know, because I've been married to this woman for 30, 30 years. It'll be 31 years. And I feel really fortunate. I feel like I kind of fell and landed on my feet. You know, I'm really thankful for that opportunity that Dirty Dancing has served me as, as a human being. The biggest thing Dirty Dancing has given me in my life is gratitude. That's cool. So he got to do all of them in this movie. That's cool. Good um, for him. And then... We, uh, we 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 disagree a little bit about I've had the time of my life where I think the the the, the song sounds goofy because the singer Bill Medley no. his voice is so fucking deep his it it's a great song <laughs> I'm not saying it's not a great song you kind of are <laughs> I just couldn't take it but one thing that made me that I didn't realize I didn't realize he was one half of the Righteous Brothers I don't even know what that is um he's an old school '60s singer. Okay. So like it makes sense that they put him in this in this. I'm trying to think of like a song that you'd know from him. Um, he did perform backup vocals for Elvis on "You've Lost That Love and Feeling." That's cool. Which That's cool. I li I li I listened to 
um, when I found that out, I've listened to I've had the time of my life, and I listened to uh, You Lost the Living Feel, and I'm like, oh, shit. He is on that song, because he's got that really deep baritone. What I, is wrong with a, a baritone I voice, just, though? I wasn't like, expecting... I don't know. Just like, something about his voice has always been funny to me. Like It's not it's not a bad song. I just, like... I don't know. I, it wasn't the voice I was expecting in this damn song. What voice were you expecting? Will I Am. That's what I was going to ask. <laughs> uh, uh, um... I never knew what, what Bill Medley looked like, the guy who does the song, the, the vocals on this track. So me and Amanda went down. She started, she Googled what he looked like. And I was always thinking of, like, a black man because of the way his vo- his voice sounds. Found out he's a skinny white dude. Um, and we watched a live music video of them performing this song, which, you know, was kind of fun. Yeah. But then we kind of went down a rabbit hole of the Black Eyed Peas because we didn't really, like, we both had forgot they had done a cover of this song. And it was like an everyone's middle school dance. High school? High school dance? It was at my high school prom. I mean, I don't know when it came out, but... But it was like, it, it played proms and dances yeah. across the nation. And I never had realized that it was like... I never processed that it was a cover of that Really? Song. Yeah. I mean, I forgot it existed, but I, I mean, I knew what song it was supposed to be so we went down a rabbit hole of, of black eyed peas music videos because they're so weird and she had never seen fergie's music video for london bridge which is a terrible music video and then we went from fergie to grunt gwen stefani yep because of, no doubt yep because uh because of how much i like no doubt i don't know how oh because uh i mentioned gwen stefani that she was doing music around the same time and i was like i liked her a lot no doubt no i had asked um who did the B-A-N-A-N-A-S Oh, that's song. how it yeah. came up. Okay. Yeah, and then um, we went to No Doubt, and then uh, Bowling for Soup, and Fall Out Boy, and that whole thing. I think that was like an hour's worth of Googling different music. Yeah. Um, yeah, we just went down a whole thing because of, because of that music video. So, uh, Bill Medley gave us a fun evening of... Watching music videos from the 2000s. Yeah, it was a weird time period. Yeah. Music videos in the 2000s were so weird. And the one time I got to make a music video, I made the best damn 2000s music video that ever existed. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm pretty proud of. Yeah, it should be. Um, going back to the movie, um, one scene that I really liked, and we both like this scene for different reasons, but it was the scene right after the abortion where baby goes to see Johnny and she kind of pro- professes her love to him. I'm trying to remember exactly what she says. Um, it's like right after the abortion, uh, she comes to see him at his, um, bungalow or whatever. Yeah. And talks about why they cannot be seen anymore. Ah, uh, here it is. I'm scared of everything. I'm scared of what I saw. I'm scared of what I did of who I am. And most of all, I'm scared of walking out of this room and never feeling the rest of my life the way I feel when I'm with you. It's such a good line. It's great. And that entire scene is amazing, though. So not only... Because that's a great way to end that scene. Cause it, yeah. It, it moves right into, like, a, a lovemaking scene, which... Who the fuck wouldn't after that line? Yeah. Um, but then that scene was also very telling about Johnny, too. I'm sorry about the way my father treated you. Oh, your father was great. He was great, though. Well, you took care of Penny. It yes, was... but I mean the way he was with you. It's really me it has to do with. 
Johnny, I came here because my father... No, the, the way he saved her... I mean, I, I could never do anything like that. That was something that... I mean, the reason people treat me like I'm nothing is because I'm nothing. That's not true. You, you're everything. You don't understand the way it is. I mean, for somebody like me, last month I'm, I'm eating juju bees to keep alive. This month, women are stuffing diamonds in my pockets. I'm balancing on shit, and as quick as that, I could be down there again. No, it, it's not the way it is. It doesn't have to be that way. I've never known anybody like you. You look at the world and you think you can make it better. Somebody's lost, you find him. Somebody's bleeding. Yeah, and you... I go get my daddy. That's really brave, like you said. That took a lot of guts to go to him. I mean, you are not scared of anything. I don't Me? I'm scared of everything. I'm scared of what I saw. I'm scared of what I did, of who I am. And most of all, I'm scared of walking out of this room and never feeling the rest of my whole life the way I feel when I'm with you. Because, you know, he's not upset at all about what the doctor said to him. No. About the way the doctor acted towards him. Because if you all remember, after the abortions, during the abortion scene, the doctor asked, who's, ta- who's, how, who's responsible for this who's girl? Who's responsible for this girl? And Johnny says, me. I am, yeah. I am. Not, you know, thinking, oh, I'm taking care of her, but the doctor probably took it as, oh, you did this to this girl, and now right. she's, I have to take care of her. And the doctor seems like a really good man because he's he's never quite, he's never like, oh, I'm not not gonna take care of her. That's my job as a doctor. Right. But, he puts any of his issues aside to make sure that this life is taken care of. Yes, but then afterwards, he kind of gives Johnny some bidness on his way out. About I don't remember exactly what he says, but he he kind of treats him. Like dirt. Yeah, I don't remember exactly what he says either. Um, I mean, it wasn't like a, from what I remember, it wasn't like an extensive conversation. It was just very like throwaway. I, it was like, a lo- oh no, what it was was he went to go thank the doctor. Oh, and the doctor wouldn't shake his hand. And that's right. Away. That's right. Because the cousin shook his hand, mm-hmm. and then Johnny went to, and the doctor just walked away. You know, but you, like he woken up in the middle of the night to treat some girl who's dying. Who you. Paid for the botched abortion. Abortion. Abortion, unknowingly. (laughs) Um, But no, Johnny's not like... I mean, I feel like... I feel like it did bother him. You know, I I don't know. Just the way he said it, it's like... I'm not saying he was 100% like, oh, this is okay. But he was more in awe of this man who, you know, like he said, like he's actually... He actually is somebody. He can Mm -hmm. do something. He's... And I, I feel like Johnny's just got this admiration for him because he, he, he knows in his soul that he wants to dance, but he, he's been told for so many times in his life that he's no one. Yeah. That he's so used to hearing that. Yeah. That he never thinks about it, uh, you know, about what am I going to do past the summer? It's his, his, if I can get my gig next summer, I'm, I'm set. Right. You know, because he knows back in Philadelphia where he's from, he's got nothing. He, yeah, he he says that he's he's eating juju bees to survive, so he's eating candy to survive. Yeah, um, and baby real knows that he can be so much more, but he's so in awe of the doctor and what he did and how he just kind of jumped in and did what's right. Um, I guess it's very telling for Johnny as a as a character. Yeah, and another thing I wanted to talk about too was did a little bit of research on Patrick Swayze. And, you know, obviously his mother was a famous choreographer and he grew up dancing and singing and whatnot. Right. He grew up in kind of a rough neighborhood. So he said he related to Johnny quite heavily because 
he said he felt like that. He's like, you know, he was always picked on for being the sissy kid that danced. So he had he had to learn how to fight. How Aww. to fight back and be stronger than everyone else because he had this passion. And it's kind of inspiring that he had this thing that he wanted to do. And he didn't let what other people were saying about him or his passion stop him from doing it. He's like, well, I'm going to do this anyways. I'm just going to... I'm just not afraid to beat the shit out of you if I have to. Yeah. The similarities with me and Johnny Castle were were pretty extreme. Growing up in Texas in a redneck mentality where I did something, you know, in terms of the arts and dance and, and acting and singing that, that people didn't understand, I had to fight my way up just to survive. And Johnny Castle, I believe, had to do the same thing on the streets of Philadelphia. You know, he, he, he danced. He didn't know why, but he knew he had to, you know, his place in the world. Feels It sounds, in that case, like... Johnny was him before he became comfortable with who he was. Because mm-hmm. I, I don't know if I would see Johnny, especially in that moment, defending himself. Because he was kind of being really hard on himself. Yeah. When compared, I mean, let's be real. Not many of us can say what we do is quite on the level of what a doctor does on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. I do have to say, though, the man is like a cat. Do you remember when they ran? When he when he ran to, like after the abortion, he ran to Robbie, and the way he scaled over that railing. Johnny, oh like, yeah, yeah, yeah! In the most like, like perfect. Li- that was a while later, but yeah, yeah, most perfect be like ballet jump ever. I'm like, yo. <laughs> I was like, damn, do that again. And I was <laughs> he like, started beating the shit out of Robbie. Yeah, and it was like, oh, he had the most graceful jump ever, and now he's like, now I'm ready to fight. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> I wish I was that limber. Right? Pretty sure I would just not make it over the fence. Yeah, I don't know if I would have either. Um, some other interesting things I found when they researching this movie that um, the uh, the like the water scene, you know, the famous like the lift water yeah. scene. Uh, no one liked shooting that scene. Really? Just freezing in the water. Oh. And then Jennifer Grey jokingly says, "I never thought I." Um, I'd never once questioned in my life if you can die from your nipples exploding from cold, but in that moment, I wondered. <laughs> I, you know, you could you could see it. You could see it. <laughs> yeah, it only it only helped the scene though. <laughs> um, but it, it's it's interesting too because uh, Patrick Swayze says that uh, the scenes were. Of them wanting to dance were very indicative to, like, he said, at times we weren't acting. He's like, you know, like, there's that scene where he's, like, brushing his hand over over her and she starts giggling and he gets really fucking annoyed. He's like, that was me in that moment. He's like, take this seriously. Uh, <laughs> he's like, a lot of that was improv. Really? Yeah, or, like, you know, he's like, there is legitimate interpretation when someone's running at you and you, you have to hold them up and they have to hold their balance so that way you don't hurt them. Yeah. Because they had to do all that. And while right. they're both trained in dance, doesn't mean they can do it the first time. Well, right, especially together, I mean, getting to know. Mm-hmm. I imagine it's really hard dancing with a new partner for the first time. Oh, yeah. So, I don't know, doing some research on this film made me appreciate it more. Like, this, you know, when the, at the end of the day, the story is what it is. It's not It's not a bad story, it's just a story no, that, we all, that we all know. Yeah. Um, I think what really made, made the movie work for me is setting. Because it said back uh, when I thought it took place in the 80s at some summer camp, I was like, oh whatever um so the time period and the setting kind of made it work for me um i liked the characters way more than i thought i was going to because um 
a lot of romantic comedies have really dumb characters. No, yeah. Or I mean, very one-sided characters, and I just kind of figured this was going to be the same as that. Um, yeah. And I also liked, too, that Baby wasn't a passive character, like women sometimes are in these romantic comedies. Like, right. she's obviously was very smitten by him the moment they met. Yeah. But... How could you not be? Right? Watching them dance and everything. Ooh. For me, um, you know, the fact that she was vocal and fought for things that she believed in, was not afraid, just because she was in love with him, was not afraid to be like, okay, you're being kind of an asshole right now. Right. Like, I love that scene when she was, she's like, oh, we have to do this, we have to do this, this dance in two days, and, um, you know, it's like, I'm busting my ass to help you and not fall on my face, and all you, all you think I want to do is bust your, you know, however she words that. Yeah, knock you on yours or something like that. Yeah, and I was like, thank you. Especially because I assume, based on this movie, that the character is not danced a day in her life, and she picks this up in, like, what is effectively maybe a week, two weeks top? I think it was only, like, a week, because, like, when they scheduled the appointment, they're pretty sure they said, I can only get her appointment on Thursday. Mm -hmm. So it was no more than a week. So I was like, she learned to do this fucking complicated dance in a week. Right. And, and we she didn't doing, have to. We were doing dance lessons for how long and we still couldn't even pull it off? Oh my god, we did dance lessons for our wedding for like almost, two months. No, it was almost a year. I'm pretty sure we started January before we got married. And let me tell you folks, the dance still sucked. It really did. I Granted, feel like, it's be- it was better than if we had no lessons. I feel like our last day of lessons, though, it looked really good. Mm-hmm. But then, just, like, when we were in front of everyone, just... We psyched ourselves out. It was just done. I don't think anyone noticed, thankfully, but... Yeah, uh, I, I think a big part of it is we, we psyched ourselves out. Yeah. But, um, you know, what are you going to do? You um, had asked me when we watched mm, the movie... Yes. ...if I thought that they would uh, still be together. Yeah, so I... Yeah. I guess I don't... I don't really know for sure if they would or wouldn't, um... Sorry, if you if you at home heard that, that was our dog <laughs> stretching. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I feel like they might have. Uh, but the biggest thing about that question that uh, made me think, because this is something I think about a lot in movies, sometimes we'll see, like, it'll be like a horror film or an action film where they're going through this crazy, crazy, insane difficult trying time and then they're in love with each other (laughs) and at the end of the movie they go off to be together and it's like you fell in love with them at like one of the most emotionally complicated times in both of your lives how is that gonna work like how are you gonna be able to handle having a normal day with this person exactly like how how like i personally don't think that they would last See, I think they, the only reason I think they might have is because this wasn't as crazy of a movie as some movies that I'm referencing. Mm -hmm. I I legitimately cannot think of a single movie that this happens in, but, like, I mean, there's some really crazy action films where, like, most ridiculous shit is happening, and they fall in love and stay together and whatever, and at the end of the film, they're going off into the sunset together, and it's like, you just... You just saw a robot destroy the world, and you just, like, fought 
this robot, <laughs> and now you expect to go home and make breakfast together? Like, I guess I just can't see Johnny having a normal life, like a tame life. I think it would really depend on whether or not he realized what he wanted to do. I mean, if that meant dancing, then fine. But, like, does he ever establish a stable job? Is he ever, you know, at a point in his life where he's not living off candy because he can't afford to live? Um, And I think he could. I don't know necessarily about that time period, but, Mm -hmm. you know, I think... There's, there are people that legitimately make their money, their lives, their livelihood off of dancing. Oh, no, you know? and I know there are, and but I just think, since he's such a vagabond. Yeah, but I don't know if it's necessarily because he wants to be, or it's, it's just been a lack of opportunity. We, we mentioned earlier about how the mom didn't have a whole lot to do in this movie. Yeah. Um, There was a scene that was also deleted. Okay. That uh, was kind of interesting, too, because it was, it was after... Uh, Johnny what had, um, after Baby had admitted that she had spent the night with Johnny. Okay. And, and that breakfast or whatever. Yes. Yeah. And it was later on, the mom came out to see her and pretty much told her, um, that I'm trying to think exactly how she worded it. She's like, um, you're so swept up in all this. You, you don't know how this is necessarily. No, actually it was after Johnny left. After Johnny left, okay, um, and she was like, "You're you're you're hurt now." He's like, "Let me tell you a story." He's like, "When I was your age, I before I met your father, I I was with a guy that I was convinced I was in love with, and he left me, and he's like, it was the worst pain in my entire life, but I didn't let it stop me, and I didn't let it hurt people around me." I don't know, she. I don't remember the exact dialogue, yeah. but, like, she was kind of giving a heart-to-heart with her daughter. And it's like, oh, you finally gave the mother something to do. And, and then you took it out. You took it out of the movie. And um, back to them, whether or not they got together, that also kind of depends, I guess, on... Well, as far as, like, whether or not I would have wanted them to get back to, or to stay together, uh, rather, is... You know, is that going to hold baby back? Baby she, back. <laughs> she wants to go join the Peace Corps and you know, do these amazing things is falling in love with this dancer guy in upstate New York. Is that going to stop her from doing all these things? He is a pretty sexy dancer. (laughs) Because like, I hate movies like that where it's like this, this woman has such aspirations, like more than even I could ever do with my life. And then she falls in love with a guy and that's it. I want to make a true sequel to this movie called Dirty Dancing 2 Dancing for Peace. And they join the Peace Corps together and they do like an old school like dance film with them like dancing for the troops and shit. I don't know. <laughs> dancing for peace. So you know like if he if he chooses to like follow her in her dreams and aspirations and like help her achieve her goals. You know while also figuring out what he wants in life. That's great. I just don't. I would just hate to see it where you know he either finds a job, doesn't find a job, whatever, but she stays with him and then she becomes stagnant because that would just that just be it. a shame and like that ruins her character, how strong willed she is. Because mm-hmm. like one thing I, it's it's kinda cool about Johnny. It's like kinda cool but like in a way that made me wonder like what his future holds is because, you know, Johnny cares about you know, he cares about his 
friends slash family. Yeah. He cares about Penny, cares about his cousin. Yeah. Fuck all intents and purposes cares about Baby, but like the only thing that Johnny truly seems to love is music and dancing. Right. And he doesn't let anything get in the way of that. Yeah. Yeah, so, but maybe Which, Johnny, maybe Johnny can add a third thing to that list. Maybe. Like, I, I don't know. I feel like I can't really say whether or not I feel like they would stay, they would make it for the long haul just based on the information that we have. Cause maybe they would. Maybe it, maybe they would and it wouldn't be in a good way. Well, this is where all, all, all the people, those of you listening come into hand. Um, go onto our Facebook. Tell us what you think. I can even start a poll. Do you think Johnny and Baby are going to last, or do you think they're going to crash and burn? Well, um, let us know. Let us know your thoughts and why. Uh, maybe maybe you agree with me, but not for the same reasons. So let us know what you think uh, if Baby and Johnny are going to last. Um, anything else you want to talk about with Dirty Dancing? Um, it's not nearly as dirty as I thought it was gonna be. No, like there's I mean, some, there's some, yeah. there's some serious grindage. Oh yeah. But at the same the time, kind of stuff that uh, if you were at middle school or middle school woo. dance, they'd go get a ruler and shove it between you. Yeah. <laughs> um, or just beat you with it. Or that, or that. Um, no, I mean, I don't know. Like I said, uh, there wasn't any like deep reason why I liked this movie so much. It was just it's something that just stuck with you after you saw it. Yeah. It's just a lot of fun, and it's a feel-good movie, I guess. Yeah, I could definitely see myself watching this again. Though we don't have to get a different copy of it, because... Oh the, my god! If any of you out there have got the 20th anniversary edition Blu-ray of it, throw it in the garbage. <laughs> it is one of the worst-looking Blu-rays. It is up there along with the Predator on Blu-ray, in terms of how it looks. Terrible. I wish someone would do a new scan of it. They did, on the 30th. Was that a fully new scan? I thought so. Oh, okay. Um, it's got a higher rating on... It's still only like a 3.5, though. Yeah, but it's, though. it got half a star. Oh, did it on the 20th? The 20th anniversary got half a star. <laughs> and it was it says the worst looking Blu-ray to ever come out. <laughs> it was pretty terrible. I haven't done like, gone the DVD Beaver yet and done like a side-by-side comparison. But oh, okay. For any of you Blu-ray fans out there who are not using DVD Beaver to... It's a terrible name. I'll be the first to admit. Using DVD Beaver to figure out which edition to buy, you're, 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 you're missing out. Because they've got some of the most in-depth Blu-ray and DVD review, uh, reviews out there. And they'll do side-by-side comparisons of every edition that they can get a hands-on. So DVD nice. and Blu-ray. And if there's like three different types of Blu-ray, they'll show them all and give their, their, their vote for which one they think is the best for your money. That's nice. Not that they sponsored this episode or anything, because they didn't. I just really liked their service. Kind of sounded like a sponsorship, the way you just kind of threw it in there. Well, if they want to give me a little bit of money, you know, with the overhead of this show, I'm not going to say no. <laughs> Send them the episode after the fact. Hey, we mentioned you already. At, at the, uh, the the 53-minute mark, you can hear <laughs> a, a glowing review for DVD Beaver. Um, yeah. If uh, DVD Beaver is seriously the first place I go, blue-ray.com is the second, but that's because they only go to Game in Town. Yeah. But um, that's beside the point. Um, if there's nothing else, 
Not that um, I can think of. I mean, I'm still figuring out the whole uh, where this show's exactly going. Um, I know me and Amanda will be doing a couple episodes. We still have to do Footloose, uh-huh. which I am excited for that one. That one. That looks one's fun. even better music wise. Um, Are we gonna watch the original and the new one? If we can find time, we definitely can. Cause I mean, I don't know which one I like better. So this is the Kevin Bacon and the Zac Efron versions. Yeah, I think I like the Kevin Bacon one better. We can watch them both. But I feel like I don't. I never watched them side by I, side, so I couldn't really give you a. I don't. I don't mind Zac Efron, man. He he's funny, and he can dance. Neighbors. Na- yeah, me and Amanda both are obsessed with Neighbors. Neighbors one over Neighbors two. Yeah. But Neighbors two has. Some the best scene in that movie is Zac Efron and, or uh, Seth Rogen trying to explain to Zac Efron about boiling water and and um, <laughs> making hard boiled eggs. Yeah, he's like, he's like, well, if you're making pasta, you know it's ready when it's soft, but eggs get hard when they're done. And they're both like, whoa. How's <laughs> the water doing? It's boiling. Pretty cool, huh? What we do now? We're gonna add the eggs to it. Okay. We put eggs in the water. Yeah, watch. Did you hear that? <gasps> ah, it's hot. Oh, dude, don't oh. fucking touch it. I told you it's hot. Oh, my gosh. I thought that was like jacuzzi hot. No, it's like boiling hot. Oh. Now we add the eggs and we hard boil them, okay? Don't put the eggs in there. It's going to melt them. No, it hard boils them. It makes them hard. Why would it make eggs hard? What do you mean, why would it make eggs hard? It makes pasta soft. Whoa. I just I haven't laughed that hard in a movie in a long time. Probably the last time was the first one because that's just like that's being an adult is everything they do in the first one. Oh, totally struggle. Yes, buying a house. (laughs) This house looks like everything we own is put into it. Yeah, it's like oh, that's what it's gonna be like one day when we have a house and we have a real studio to podcast in. Uh, So yeah, we're gonna do Footloose, and then Amanda is actually gonna be taking some. uh, film courses she's gone back to school and she she took an, a film course for some electives so we will be talking about at least one movie that she has to watch you know yeah, we'll, we'll see what we can do watching a bunch of them um anyway. i don't know if we'll be talking about these or not but uh probably tonight we're gonna be watching bruce connor's a movie and then potentially battleship Temkin. so if anything, maybe oh. maybe if we if we have something to say, I, I can I might all, I might just tack it onto the end of this. We'll see. There you go. Um, but um, as always, guys, thank you for listening. Please don't forget to uh, like, rate, and subscribe to the podcast. Ratings help us out, especially through Apple Podcasts, because that tells them how well we're doing. And the more ratings we get, the better ratings we get. The higher we move up in. Like the grand scheme of things, the more available our podcast is going to become. So that really helps us out. Give us a five star rating, guys. I'd really appreciate it. Subscribe uh, so that way they know how many people are listening to us on a regular basis. We are available on Apple Podcasts, uh, Stitcher Radio, Google Play Music, and of course, our home from the beginning, SoundCloud. Um, if you want to keep up with me, as always, Michael underscore Vyers on Instagram, and you can just find me on Facebook along with the loneliest Facebook group on the internet, the Shameless Picture Show page, and new to Instagram is the Shameless Picture Show Instagram. Shameless Picture Show, all one word. I'm going to keep us all up to date on there as well. Um, anything you want to plug, Amanda? 
Frankenstein's Instagram pages or anything like that. <laughs> I mean, if you want to look at a bunch of pictures of our dog and occasionally pictures of us if I accidentally don't change Instagram accounts, it's Dogenstein. Dogenstein. And then uh, Amanda, what yours is Amanda R. Vyers on Instagram. Yeah. So if you want to see a bunch of nerdy pictures of us and our family, fi- uh, throw our like on Instagram. Uh, thanks a lot, guys. Once again, please rate the podcast. just yet um originally i was gonna make this a bonus episode along with another vinegar syndrome release but uh fun fact me and amanda are working on buying a house and we're getting pretty close to the fact that we're going to be closing so i haven't gotten the chance to watch as much as i normally do because originally i was gonna watch shot along with blood theater or possibly wonder women and do a vinegar syndrome bonus episode but i don't know if that's going to happen and i didn't want to not review this awesome movie so i'm going to be talking about vinegar syndrome release that they sent me uh, called Shot, um, made in 1973. This movie I'd never heard of. Uh, I saw them post about it on their website, and it looked fucking bonkers and amazing and kind of cool. So yes, on this somewhat bonus review on the podcast, I'll be talking about Mitch Brown's Shot. Semi-urban detective duo Ross and Wilson have been charged with taking down local drug kingpin Blasi. After busting a low-level pusher, they convince his girlfriend, Sheila, to start working for them as an undercover operative in exchange for avoiding prison. But as Ross finds himself becoming romantically interested in his new perpetually spaced-out informant, Blassie, 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 continues to strengthen his crime empire, setting his sights on even loftier and deadlier ambitions. A low-key piece of regional new American cinema-influenced action thriller and character drama shot was produced for a scant $15,000 in the college town of Champaign, Illinois, and is made all the more impressive by the fact that it was written, produced, and directed by then-college students Mitch Brown Nate, and Nate Kahn, using funds they'd raised during campus film screenings. With its well-choreographed and French Connection-inspired car chase and stunt scenes, impressive helicopter photography and pursuits, punctuated by naturalistic performances from a mostly amateur cast, along with extensive local color, shot remains a forgotten gem of early 70s regional filmmaking. Barely screened theatrically and almost impossible to see since its brief VHS release, in which it was retitled Death Shot, Vinegar's Engine presents Shot on Blu-ray, newly restored from its 16mm reversal original and fully uncut for the first time on video. Once again, the film is directed by Mitch Brown, made 1973, 92 minutes, color 131-aspect ratio, starring Richard C. Watt, Frank Himes, Charles Russell, Neil Lifton, Jay Brett, James Hinton, Denise Sondev, and Margaret Huerich. Um, I fucking loved this movie, guys. Um, one, I'm a sucker for regional filmmaking anyways, but usually regional filmmaking ends up being horror movies, which I'm not complaining about at all. Um, but this one was interesting because it's, was its own weird little thing. Um, I know that's not really doing a good job of describing it, but, um. Because it's not often you get to see an action film, especially action film of this much production value, 
all laid throughout in $15,000, which is still not a lot of money. In 1973, it was a little bit more. Uh, it was close to probably $90,000. Um, but think about that. How much of that How much of that budget went to actually buying film? It's impressive, everything they were able to do in this film. From its car chases to its helicopter scenes. And because it's a regional cinema piece, I feel like I know the town of Champaign, Illinois, a little bit better. I got excited. Like, oh, next time I drive through Champaign, I want to look for some of these locations. Like the racetrack at the end of the film. Or um, some of the exteriors. Another thing I liked about it too, since it was shot in the Midwest, there's a beautiful snow cover through a good portion of the film. It just feels really down and gritty. Me being a filmmaker, it really inspired me as well. Like, I wanted to go out there and make something for next to nothing. Um, this film had a lot of youthful energy. And something this small and independent, you didn't from 1973, you didn't see very often. Those really low-budget independent films didn't start popping up until, well, not entirely, but you didn't see them as often until, like, the 80s and then especially in the 90s when it become more of a thing. Like, the, the action in this film is uh, El Mariachi levels of production value, where you're like, how did this guy do this? How did these guys do this for so little money? Um, it's impressive. Uh, highest recommendation to shot uh, from the podcast, um, yeah, I, I was excited to hear that they were going to release this, uh, I just watched the trailer on their website, and I was like, hell yeah, I need to see this film, and I think this is a film that everyone needs to see, um, not everything that Vinegar Syndrome releases is for everyone, um, I'll be the first to admit that, uh, they have very esoteric taste in terms of what they release, but there's some things I really stand by, and a lot of their regional cinema I stand by. Like, um, I really recommend this. Um, I really recommend... What was the other one I really liked? Uh, Grave Robbers. I enjoyed that one quite a bit. Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song. I feel like everyone needs to own. Uh, another piece of regional cinema. Get two of the films from the Wisconsin Blood Trilogy. Uh, Bloodbeat. And Bloodhook are both fantastic. Uh, Bloodhook is just hysterical. Uh, Star Time I liked quite a bit. Prey I liked quite a bit. Uh, so there's some definitely some good shit out there, guys. Uh, hell, I even really liked the Corpse Grinders. Uh, while it's not, you know, it's, it's for some people it's kind of like on Ed Wood levels of production. I still thought it was really good. And then we can't forget. Um, Psychos in Love. Psychos in Love was one of the, I it made my list for one of the best discoveries I've had of of a movie last year. Uh, Psycho Cop Returns. So like I said, Vinegar Syndrome is putting out a lot of good shit, guys. I know they're one of my sponsors, but that doesn't mean I have to necessarily say good things about them. When we created this sponsorship, we simply told each other. I said, um, well, you know, I'm going to be honest with my reviews. I can't necessarily guarantee I'm going to love everything. And they simply told me, we don't expect you to love everything we send you just be passionate about cinema and these guys are um so that i thought was really cool uh features i will admit are a little sparse on this release um not that that's necessarily a bad thing um because i'd rather quality over quantity realistically but there's some good stuff so uh back of the case says uh not that it's really a feature but it's newly scanned and restored in 2k from the 16 millimeter negative which is cool there's a feature called taking the shot an interview with director Mitch Brown. Um, Mitch, 
Mitch Brown, I feel like you could tell, you know, he's an older gentleman at this point. He's trying to re- remember everything that went into making this film. Um, he's not ultimately the most entertaining guy to watch, but he gives a lot of good information. So if you power through it, there's some really cool little tidbits he gives young independent filmmakers about how to make a movie that feels this big on no budget. He talks about their um, experience, their their history in um the university university of illinois uh mitch brown doesn't from what i've everything i heard does not sound like he was necessarily a film student but his producer nate Cohn, who also directed part of the film he was he had studied in england um so that's pretty interesting and then there's an audio interview with producer nate Cohn. and the reason i like this one just a little bit better is one uh, you have a moderator kind of helping lead the interview so you get to hear the voice of Vinegar, one of the vinegar syndrome founders ryan emerson and he re- he comes in really enthusiastic and helps lead that interview i real so i really like that one um it's a little annoying because there's no video or anything but it's a great piece to put on while in the background while you're doing something that's exactly what i did uh, so Mitch and I basically, um, it, it was, as I said, it was the sixties. So things were, were rather rebellious and rather fluid. Uh, we didn't spend a whole lot of time in the classroom. So Mitch and I started a, uh, uh, organization called Cinema Guild, which was, uh, we showed films on campus and then we took the money and we used that money to, uh, to make to actually make films, and we started making documentaries. Um, some of them politically charged. Uh, it was a time of uh, demonstrations on campus, National Guard on campus, and we did a couple of documentaries about that, and then we decided we'd try our hand at making a feature film. Uh, it's also got a promotional still, an article gallery, reversible cover, which is, they're both pretty cool, uh, and English subtitles. Uh, so I highly 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 recommend shot add it to the list of things that are shameless picture show approved so thanks for sticking out with me for a little bit guys hopefully you've listened this far to hear the review and we'll be talking soon next films i want to review from vinegar syndrome um i bought pd wheat straw from them which is like a satanic black exploitation film um, about a guy going to hell and has to marry the devil's uh, daughter, which is sounds hysterical. It's directed by the saying uh, it stars um, Rudy Ray Moore from Dolomite fame, which is pretty fantastic. Um, I got a copy of Wonder Women, which I'm pretty excited to review, and I've been dying to review Blood Theater, but uh, I want to wait because my wife Amanda wants to watch it with me. So that's the only reason I haven't gotten to some of these titles is she wants to watch them too. And then with everything going on at the house, uh, episodes, I'm hoping I'm not going to miss one. But, you know, reviewing extra titles might take a little bit longer. But if anything, maybe the next episode, I'll get my buddy Kyle on with me. We'll watch one of these weird-ass Vinegar Syndrome films together, and maybe we'll do an episode just on that. So, uh, thanks for listening, guys. Love you all. As I said earlier in the show, rate, review, subscribe. It's very helpful. And if you buy something from Vinegar Syndrome... If you get something from me, or from my other sponsor, Mill Creek, which I don't get stuff from as often, but I still love them, tell them Michael from the Shameless Picture Show sent you, so that way they know um, I'm awesome. So I'll talk to you guys soon. Bye-bye.